0: search the world, but there's nothing better than you lord there's nothing better than you lord there's
1: nothing
2: So glad you're here with us this Labor Day weekend. I and mean, I'm just sitting here making sure I take advantage of this weather before the chill sets in. I hope you have some time to rest and relax as well. I mean, after all, the Bible tells us to. My name is Michael Bouchard, and I'm the Student Ministries Director at the Orion Campus. And if you are checking us out for the first time, or if you're new, we just want to say welcome. We'd love to have you connect with us. So grab your phone and text hello to 248 781 2771. You can also stay connected and learn more about who we are at kensingtonchurch.org, on the Kensington Church app, and on all of our social media channels. I mean, I hear Instagram is pretty cool. Before we continue with today's service, there are a few things happening at Kensington that you should know about. First, let's talk about the next generation, our students. Now, we're working hard to create a place for students to connect, to find a place where they belong, and to start taking ownership of their own faith. EDGE, our high school ministry, and Breakaway, our middle school ministry, are kicking off at our Metro Detroit campuses next weekend, and Traverse City Campus is launching shortly after that. Now, it may look a little different in 2020, but we're still excited to have students gathering together with social distancing in place. Students will have the opportunity to jump into a small group, and some campuses are having virtual options as well. So check out kensingtonchurch.org students to find out what your campus has starting next week. Our Traverse City campus is spending a lot of time outdoors before the snow dumps on them. When this past Wednesday, they circled up for some awesome music and some community time out on the lawn. Now for those of us downstate who haven't pulled out our snow boots quite yet, we've got two midweeks coming up this month. This Wednesday, September 9th, outdoors on the lawn at the Troy campus and September 16th, indoors at the Clinton Township campus. Please RSVP at kensingtonchurch.org midweek. Or you can join us on the live stream. We'd love to have you either way. All right, now sit back, relax, and enjoy what God has for you today. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, Today,
3: we're in our last day of the Pivot Series where we're talking about adjusting to the new. And so we introduced this song about a year ago, it's called New Wine, but it talks about God taking the vessel of our hearts and molding it and turning it into something new so that he can use it as he sees fit. And so as we talk about the ever-coming changes and so many things happening around us, we just thought that it would be the perfect time to sing this song, to really adjust our hearts, to be in the posture to say, God, whatever you want to do, we're willing to do it. Change our hearts, mold our hearts. And so I just want to invite you, whatever you need to do, sit, stand, whatever it is, just join in this moment of worship with us.
4: Make me a vessel and make me an all for me. Make me whatever you want me to be. God, I came here with nothing. Bring new wine out.
5: Good morning. I hope you're excited to be here whether you're in the auditorium or listening from home. Thank you so much for joining us today. And that was so beautiful, wasn't it? Wasn't it? It was just a great way to start the day and especially our topic for today because the sentiment behind that song uh, really through a lot of different expressions really comes down to the willingness to change. The willingness to say, Jesus, do what you want and bring from me what you want, however you want. Uh, Just the willingness to submit in whatever Jesus wants to say, God, I'm willing to change. And by the way, that is the heart of the word pivot, which is the title of our series. The heart of the word pivot means to change in some way. Sometimes God asks us to change our decisions, which could change our trajectory and our choices of our lives and our impact. But sometimes God asks us to change in other ways, just in small ways, just to change our attitude or our perspective or our opinion, Uh, and sometimes, which, of course, would change what comes out of us as well. So that's what we're talking about today, adjusting to the new or embracing the new. Uh, Before we dive into that, however, I just want to say uh, just as Aaron did, and just as the video did, welcome. If you're here for the first time, we want to welcome you here, certainly. And this next moment is not for you if you're visiting. Uh, but we're going to take just a moment and receive our offering. And so if you're uh, giving physically here in the room, you, there's some buckets on the way out, just we don't want to pass anything. However, if you're sitting here in the room as well, or if you're at home, you could take out your phone and text the word Kensington to 77977 or give through our app or our website, all of which are secure. Uh, great way to give, and we certainly want to thank you for doing that. It's always a, you know, a challenge to give financially, but it's a part of our faith walk. We certainly would like to say thank you for considering partnering with us in everything that God is doing. Uh, we also want to give you an update from last week's vote. Uh, we had a budget vote and an elders vote, and we want to let you know the results of that. Uh, 99% uh, budget approval, 96% uh, elders affirmed, so we certainly want to thank you for believing in us and our leadership as well. So before we dive into today's topic, I would love to pray with you. Uh, My name is Chris Zarbaugh, by the way. I'm the lead pastor here at the Clinton Township Campus. I'd love for you to join me in prayer as we get started. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Lord, thank you for this wonderful day and for everybody here or listening online. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to hear from you. Lord, that we would not only hear your truths, but Father, to hear from you what they mean for us in our lives. Lord, thank you for your blessings and again, just the friendships and the encouragement that we're feeling in the room as we interact with each other. I pray that you would encourage us still yet today. We ask and we pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, amen. All right. So uh, I was not here the last couple of weeks. Uh, Craig McGlass did a phenomenal job. So did Shauna. Uh, But I was in Clearwater, Florida, which is why I look a little tan. So it wasn't the tanning booth. No, this was all natural, baby. And I just want to let you know that uh, I had a very good time in Clearwater doing jet skis and then vacationing and doing the beach. But I was also there on a double purpose. Um, If you were here last midweek service, you may or may not know or may or may not care, but I'm a Monopoly fiend, and so I used to play Monopoly in high school, and we did a trophy. At the end of my senior year, you know, I won the most tallies, and you get to keep the trophy forever, like way back then when other people were doing cool things, I was at home playing Monopoly because I'm such a nerd, and so I ended up winning the Monopoly trophy and holding on to it for 30-something years, well, when I went down to Clearwater, Florida, it was actually a Monopoly reunion, believe it or not. See, I get I get more nerdy by the story as as it passes. And so, for the first time in 30 years, my three uh, comrades were, met me in, in there, and so we did best out of 10 games, and, uh, and and they said, you have to re-up your Monopoly trophy. You have, to, you have to give up the original, and I said, no, 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 I'll buy a new trophy uh, for the reunion, and they said, no, 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 you have to give up the original or else it has, it has to be risky. I thought like, hey, when somebody wins a gold medal at the Olympics, they don't give it back at the next Olympics, but they encouraged me to do it, and I went ahead and re-upped it. And uh, one of the things that God reminded me of on this trip is that some things have changed in 30 years. A lot has changed. Certainly the way we look has changed. But then some things, as we were playing Monopoly in this tournament, I thought, some things have never changed. So let me tell you one thing that, has, that didn't change, okay? Here's a picture of who won the trophy. Um <laughs> And so that didn't change, so I'm glad for that. Uh, But I want to let you know that the person to my uh, right is Dave Davis. He invited us to church. He was the one who invited us. And then uh, my brother Jimmy is the one choking me, and uh, he's a minister in Texas. And then uh, he and I were invited by Dave, and then I was the one who invited Jeff right behind you. He's my best friend. And so we were down there. And so here's the point of me sharing that is because I find that actually it was comforting that some things didn't change. Isn't that true? That when, think, when, you, when some things you can just count on being the same, it's actually a very comforting thought, isn't it? But at the same time, I was very glad that some things have changed. And so it was very interesting to hear all the massive changes. And I actually had the thought as I was preparing this message for it during that week, I thought change is a funny thing, isn't it? Because it can be both good and bad, desired and not desired. Change is interesting. So let me ask you this question. Let's start with a little survey. I just want to know. So be honest because you're in church. How many of you would say when it comes to something that you love or you deem important, something that you enjoy currently as it is, you are a person that generally doesn't really want change? Raise your hand if you resist change. Okay, I would say that's probably at least 50%, if not maybe even more of the hands in here. I don't know about you at home, okay? Uh, I think that people are creatures of habit. In fact, here's my example. My example is uh, pre-COVID, when we had 4,000 people coming to three services, I always found it interesting uh, that I could actually tell if somebody's not in church because of where they sit. Because people have a tendency to sit in the same spots, So for instance, I'll call John Burkett and I'll say, hey, I noticed you weren't in the church today. He said, how could you tell there was 4,000 people? I'm like, because in the second service on the left-hand side in the fifth row, you guys weren't there because I looked over and I glanced like I already know, I already know Amber and Peter, you're going to be right here. I know it every single Sunday. I know know where people are going to be around the auditorium most of the time. How many of you would say, I'm a person who tends to sit generally in the same spot? Raise your hand. See, that's most of us. We are creatures of habit, and it's partly because we have preference, but it's partly because we don't like change as well. How many of you would say, I have a tendency to order the same things in certain restaurants? I'm I'm a person who does that, okay. How many of you would go as far as to say, I'm actually a person who doesn't even like to stray from my routine, my comfort zone of routine? All right, very good. Now, Now Let's go the opposite just to give you uh, freedom, lovers. How many of you would say, I run toward change. I love change. I love change. Great. The three of you who raised your hand, that's wonderful. Good job. All right. Very good. So if you're a person who has a tendency to resist change, then perhaps maybe you identify with this next person. So watch this.
6: This is my zone. I like it. It's what was taught to me. It's what I know. And it works. It is a beautiful thing to wake up every day and know that I finally got it all figured out. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, it, it is amazing. It's, it's very satisfying. You want to come in my zone? Yeah, absolutely. Sure, it's the best. I think you're really going to like it. But there are a few ground rules. First rule, you have to do and believe everything I tell you. That's the only rule. Does that sound good? Well, I look forward to showing you around. <laughs> what? You have ideas? Okay, that's that's great. Your brain thinking and everything. Um, look, everybody has suggestions. Uh, but your ideas might not work in my zone, and I don't like messy. Look, you have... No idea how hard I've worked on this. Years of, of case studies and research and trial and error. A lot of error, and I really don't want to relive any of those. Thank you very much. So unless your little fancies line up with mine, you're not going to fit in my zone. Got it? OK, OK, good. Great, now would you like to come in? Oh. Really, you're inviting me into your zone. Isn't that cute, your own little zone? Yeah, let me think about that. No, and I'll tell you why. If I leave my zone and come into your zone, then who's gonna protect my zone? All my hard work, it's gonna be under attack by new thoughts, new ideas, new perspectives. It's gonna be a mess. It just makes me sick thinking about it. So as you can see, I can't afford to go into your zone. Um, But thanks for the offer. That was really kind of you, and good luck with that. As I was saying, this is my zone. I like it. It works. Feel free to stop by anytime, and I might let you in if you don't make a mess.
5: How many of you identify with that? Because, again, we all understand that change is the enemy of comfort zone, isn't it? It's almost like, hey, I'm in my comfort zone, and if you want to come this way, then please, you change. But if you want me to step outside of my comfort zone, that means I have to change, and I'm not willing to do that. And so when it comes down to it, I think all of us can relate to that to some degree, and here's why. Because I consider myself a person who actually embraces change. Uh, I I would like to think so. Maybe I'm fooling myself, but I actually say, I like change in, in a lot of areas, but if I'm honest... There are certain areas of my life that I would say, okay, God, please don't mess with that area. You know, there's an area of my life, and it could be any, any area at all. It could be something externally. It could be something internally. It could be something relationally, financially, uh, you know, trajectory, whatever it is when it comes to my choices and my destination, my destiny. I mean, it could be anything. If I'm just truly honest, there are most things that I'm open to change about, and there are certain things that I just don't want to change so if you can relate and you have a tendency to resist change then I would say that tendency when it intersects with our faith there's a problem because there's a friction that perhaps stunts our growth and it's because change is the one tool it's the main tool in God's toolbox when it comes to our faith Uh, God is all about change not about himself about us God is not about change, about Himself. After all, the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, God's standard of sin in the Old Testament is, this, is God's standard of sin in the New Testament. He has never changed. The only thing that's changed is God's response to sin, and that's, that's a drastic change. And that's because of Jesus, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. However, I just want to say that God's not about change because of Himself. He's the one who does not change. However, his constant thing or the constant thing that we experience with him is that the agent of change is his main toolbox. The Bible says that he is changing us from glory to glory. That we, that we are to be changed, you know, just little by little, and sometimes in big steps and in small steps. Uh, the Bible says also that He is conforming us little by little to, uh, into the image of His Son, which, of course, we will never reach until we get to heaven, this side of eternity. But that is God's goal for us. Every single time that God challenges us with something, Uh, There is some sort of change that takes place. We either have to change our minds, our perspective, and sometimes it translates into changing our decisions, our actions, our trajectory, and our impact, which is the very definition of the word pivot. In fact, there's a couple sentences, a couple statements for today, and here's the first one. I believe that whenever God wants to do a work through us, it always starts with a change in us. That God is always about changing us, and whenever we're confronted with something, especially something that calls us outside of our comfort zones, there's the smallest and could be up to the biggest change of our lives, God is all about change. And listen, not only is it just change internally, but isn't it true that we go through life experiencing changes externally and circumstantially around us as well? Think about it, our jobs change, our health changes, our relationships change over time. Challenges and temptations come and go. New people come into our lives and those who we love sometimes leave. Uh, Society changes, traditions change, leadership changes. And even some of our beliefs and our perspectives change over time. And when things on the outside change, God then once again challenges us to deal with it by changing something on the inside of us. So when, as we're faced with change, every time we have to learn to adjust our attitudes, our perspectives, our habits, our choices, and our very demeanors. In fact, the next statement that I would make would be this. I believe the best way to deal with change on the outside is to change on the inside. And so I believe that the agent of change that God has us, you know, uh, he calls us to be open to is something that we can find in the scriptures as well. In fact, this next story is a story about Peter. And so Peter is having a hard time with change. Now, before we dive into the story, I have to kind of give you a disclaimer. Uh, when When I say the word change, we're talking about all sorts of changes, not just Peter's challenge, but however Peter's challenge is, he's having a hard time with two people groups that don't like each other. Now, again, we're gonna focus on that in the story. However, whenever God calls us to change, I'm talking about all kinds of change, being open to the concept that God is a God who asks us to step outside our comfort zones. He's a God that asks us to consider new perspectives, to do things not the way we think in our own tendencies, our own, you know, kind of opinions or the way that we were raised, but however to adapt, to consider, to reconsider God's ways, to love others or to, you know, again, live with risk or, you know, not necessarily cling to safety in our lives. And so it's all sorts of change. However, Peter's challenge was a change in the way that he grew up versus the way that God designed this new thing called church. Here's the, here's the reason why I say that. Because in order to understand Peter's struggle, Peter's struggle, we have to understand his background. Peter grew up as a Jewish boy. and In the Old Testament, we are told that that Jews were God's chosen people. God, you know, displayed his glory and his message and and everything else through the Jewish people through the Old Testament. Jesus comes along on the scene in the Gospels, and what does he do? He dies on the cross for all humanity, changing the system. No longer do you have to, you know, gain favor with God by obeying the laws of Moses and sacrificing animals, but Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, dies once and for all for all of humanity. he's buried, he rose again, he establishes this brand new thing called the church, but something else changed. It's not just, you know, getting to heaven by not obeying the law, it's getting to heaven through faith, but it's more than that. It's it's not just for the Jewish people anymore. God says it's for the Jewish people and everybody else who they refer to as Gentiles. So you're either Jewish or you're non-Jewish, and all non-Jewish people are Gentiles, and so the gospel is for everyone. Now think about this. Peter is one of the most celebrated and well-known of the 12 apostles. Peter is primarily called to bring the message to the Jewish people. He's an expert at being a Jewish boy and a Jewish man. He understands. And by the way, it's worth mentioning that, in, that in, if you're a Jewish person, it, it's all about gaining favor with God by being a part of the right family, following the right traditions, and for men, having the right kind of surgery. Does anybody know what I'm referring to? Okay, very good. Um, Eating the right food, having the right upbringing, knowing the right precepts and the laws, aligning with the right politics, having the right heritage. I mean, everything that Peter, you know, grew up with and understood, Jesus comes along and says, big change. And so what does Peter do? He dedicates his life, for the most part, preaching to everybody, but focusing on the Jewish people who understand him. Now, we, we know that the Jewish people today, most uh, people who say, I'm Jewish, they would say they don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. This is primarily Peter's assignment. They would say, no, Jesus is the long-awaited Christ, the Messiah, and he's convincing people of that. Now, meanwhile, as the book of Acts, we head, we head out of the Gospels, we head in the book of Acts, and somewhere along the way, Acts chapter number 9, God uh, chooses Paul, the apostle Paul. He's not one of the 12, he comes later on. So he's kind of an outsider, but God says you're perfectly chosen to bring this message because he's a Jew himself, Paul's a Jewish man, but you're perfectly chosen to bring it to the Gentiles, everybody else who's not Jewish. Now something happens somewhere around Acts chapter 10 and 11 where Peter is having a really hard time with this concept of Jewish people worshiping together under Jesus' name with everybody who is Gentiles, who's considered lawless and, and sinners and, you know, not knowing God. And so Paul confronts Peter. Now, the, the scripture we're going to look at is actually in later on in Galatians. If you flip through the Bible, you get all the way through the Galatians, about midway in the, in the New Testament, Paul is in prison and he's writing to a church in Galatia. And he's writing to this confrontation that he had with Peter. And we know that the confrontation happened somewhere in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at that in a second. But I want to look at Paul's recollection of his detailed version of this conversation. So in in, in Galatians chapter number two, look at verse number 11. It says this. But when Peter came to Antioch, Paul says, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very Wrong, and I highlighted that because Paul is announcing to the church in Galatia how wrong it was, you know, the offense that Peter did, even before he unpacks it. Then he says, when he first arrived, he ate with Gentile believers who were not circumcised. And that's that surgery I was talking about. He said, but afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. Now, uh, let me stop there because when you read that, You may think to yourself, what was Peter's problem? Was was his problem like, uh, I I tried it, but uh, I just can't do it. I thought I could do it, but I just can't hang with these guys. Or is it more like, I've changed my mind. I I think that maybe what Jesus said, he might have meant something different. Surely the gospel isn't for these guys. Believe it or not, it's none of those things. We're about to find out it's good old-fashioned peer pressure. Peter didn't necessarily change the way he believed. He just was concerned about what people thought of him. And I think it's very interesting that 2,000 years later, the same tendencies that we have, we find in Peter. So it says this. It goes on and says, he was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted, and those are people who resist change, by the way, these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision, which is a Jewish way of doing things. It says, as a result, other Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So again, it's just interesting because, you know, here's Peter having a hard time with the new. And there's a, there's a people who look differently, they behave differently, they have a different reputation, and of course, they have a different experience and background. Jesus says it's changed, and Peter's having a hard time with it. Um, now, let me refer back to that photo that I showed you with the four of us in Clearwater, uh, the one where I had the victory and was the champion. Remember that photo? Um, well, there was four people in there, and what I didn't tell you is there was a fifth. And uh, the reason why he wasn't in the photo is because he passed away. So we, we were all best friends, and uh, his name was Norman Sugden. So uh, Dave actually invited me to church. I told you that story, Uh, me and my brother, and then we invited Jeff. Well, we were all there before Norm, and I want to just take a minute and tell you that as I was preparing this message in Clearwater, playing Monopoly with my friends, I was reminded that about Norm, because Norm, we we tried the Monopoly reunion five years ago. Two weeks before we were going to do it, Norm passed away, and so we, we waited, and so let me tell you how I met Norm. Uh, Norm, I met in health class in ninth grade in Mr. Bigelow's class. And, and, and there was like long lab tables where two people sat at one big bench and Norm sat behind me, catty corner over there, but he was the only one there and he was a, what we would call a stoner back then because in my age, that's what, you know, in my day, in my day, we would say stoner. And he had, he had long hair down the middle of his back, beautiful hair, by the way, beautiful red hair. It was gorgeous. But anyway, listen, the point is, it really was. I'm not kidding. Uh, sorry for the female under, town there, here we go, so uh, the point is, is that, uh, but he was dressed differently, way differently, piercings everywhere, uh, you know, even smelled like, you know, weed all the time, and so my my health teacher said something about marijuana, and I remember Norm made a comment, and I was being, you know, just me back then, and I did something like, you know, and and, he, and so he started arguing with me, and he wanted to fight me, and so he's like, let's go right now, and you know, I don't know if you've, you know, lived in the 80s, but he, he took it, he stood up, and he took his table and he threw it over and he flipped it over and just started yelling at me. He's like, let's go. Well, I have to side note, Norm's very, very large. He's, he was a bodybuilder. You know, he, he, he literally was a bodybuilder and so he he started threatening me and I'm looking around, feeling the peer pressure and so what I did was I pretended like I was going to fight him but I backed up just enough for Mr. Bigelow to come in. And I'm like, oh yeah, come on, man. Come on. Come on, Mr. Bigelow. Come on, man. And Mr. Bigelow steps in I'm like, yeah. And then I'm kind of moving forward like this and then Norm goes to the office and, and I was okay. And that was the end of my confrontation with Norm, and so after that, we never really talked with each other, and then wouldn't you know it, about six months later, I'm in my church with all my friends that I just showed you, and then what happens is I'm on the visiting team, meaning like I'm, I'm undercover, and I have a job to do, and it's my job, I volunteered for this team to make visitors feel welcome. Anybody who walks through the door from Cheney High School, that's my assignment that day, and so in walks this person sits down, and my leader comes up to me and says, hey, go sit next to that Individual back there, so he's not all alone. And I'm like, great. I started walking and I realized, guess who it is? It's Norm, this guy who wants to kill me. And I look over and I said, I can't go back there because we had this big confrontation. And then he says something really spiritual. He's like, all the more reason why you need to show him the love of God, Ooh, whatever. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I go back there and I sit down next to him. I'm kind of scared. I start talking to him and he looks over and laughs and he goes, Really? Really? And I'm like, yeah. And so we just started sitting together and talking. And wouldn't you know it, as different as we were and as much as we had in between us, at the end of that time together, in between, you know, that church and big church, he told me his story. And he said, the reason why I'm here is he had a big addiction at that time to alcohol and drugs. And he said that he got drunk and he did some drugs. He got beat up and thrown in a dumpster, which is pretty extreme. And he was laying in the dumpster. It was raining on him. And he, he said, I just thought to myself I don't think my life needs to be this way and I think I need a change. He said and that was last night and I wandered into the church today. And do you want to know the thing we had in common? <laughs> this is funny to me. I said, "Hey, cuz he was underage and I said, "Did you buy happen to buy your liquor at Gina's drive-through because they're the ones that, you know, sell to underage students all the time." And he's like, "Well, yeah, of course, Gina's drive-through." I'm like, That's my family business, my mom is Gina. And he's like, you're kidding. Is that your brother who gave it to me with the tattoo? I'm like, yeah, that's Donnie. And so we started talking and we had this thing in common. That was our bond at the time. And so literally we became friends. Eventually Norm turned his life over to God and we actually both surrendered to full-time ministry and he went to Bible college with me and we roomed together and we were friends. And so here's why, the reason why I say that is because as I'm preparing for this message and as, you know, as we're toasting to, to, to Norm every time we hit free parking, because he's not there, I'm thinking of this message, preparing for this message, thinking, you know, in, in a very small way, I could understand, you know, Peter not wanting, you know, shows up at church, and he's like, what are they doing here? What are those people doing here? And yet, They're only going to come together through the change that God brings. And by the way, the change that God brings is the power. Jesus comes with the power to love and forgive all people. But then not only that, but gives us the power to love and forgive the same people. So it goes on and it says this. Verse number 14, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel, Paul says, uh, which by the way, was the same power and change I just talked about. I said to Peter in front of the others, since you, a Jew, by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, in other words, you're not striving under the old ways anymore, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish traditions? You, are, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. I love how Paul is able to identify with Peter's struggle. He says, yet we know, we know that a person is made right by God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus, and every time that Paul refers to uh, Jesus as not Jesus Christ, but Christ Jesus, he's emphasizing the work of God, which is, you know, only by God is all of this possible, by faith, changing the system. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that, or for the purpose of, that we may be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right by obeying the law. Let me just pause and just say this. This may be a change of thinking for you as well. Because you may think that getting to heaven is like, hey, as long as my good outweighs my bad, by the time I get done with my life, I'll get to heaven. Somebody once told me something about obeying the Ten Commandments. I try to be good. And I have to tell you that that is in the Bible, but it's part of the old system. There weren't, by the way, 10 commandments. There were 613 precepts that Moses brought. You know, 248 thou shouts and 365 thou shalt nots. And God didn't bring it to show us that we could obtain, you know, every, you know, law and obey everything so that we might obtain heaven. He brought all those laws to show us that you and I don't have a shot at making it to heaven by ourselves. And that Jesus came to die on the cross to say, you can't get there by the law, You can get there through faith by simply believing and trusting, not in what you can do, but what I have already done for you on the cross. I believe the same change that Peter was struggling with could be a change in perspective for you today. Just knowing if this is brand new news for you, take heart, knowing that God doesn't love you just because you go to church or jump through the hoops or check the box or run faster. That is not what the Bible says. Uh, You know, God doesn't love us if or because God loves us in spite of, in spite of our sins. In fact, I always say this, but I love saying this. I bet you the only thing we have in common in this room and listening online is every single one of us are imperfect people. You have your own set of issues to deal with every single day when you get out of bed, and so do I. And consequently, all of us are in need of a Savior. And so this is the truth. This is why Paul was chosen. He's an expert at at expressing this new thing. And I love how Peter is struggling, and and not just Peter, but the friends of James are struggling with God doing a great work in those people. Those people. And so let me ask you this question. Everybody has somebody that they probably can consider as those people. Who are those people in your life? Uh, Is it somebody who votes different than you? Because there's no shortage of that this com- upcoming season, is there? Is there? Is, is, are those people somebody who maybe perhaps has a different skin color than you, or perhaps somebody who uh, sins differently than you? Like you know, uh, a guy sin. I'm not perfect, but they sin in a different way. And who you know, and those people, and even though that I sin, and you know, everything's level, it's still different. And is it somebody who perhaps worships different than you, or perhaps maybe doesn't worship at all? Is it somebody who perhaps makes a different amount of money than you? Whatever it is, whoever those people are, again, when we're talking about change, it could be any change, but for Peter, it's this kind of change. It's the, it's the change of accepting other people and knowing that only through God's power, you know, the answer is love and grace and forgiveness. And that's the approach that brings these two people groups together. Now, here's what I love about this, is that we're not given the timeline in the book of Acts. So if, if I, let me see. Timeline works this way. So, so Galatians would be written in the New Testament somewhere over here. If you were to back up in the book of Acts, we know that Paul had this confrontation with Peter. Sometime, you know, Acts, Paul, Acts chapter 9, Paul comes on the scene. Uh, Acts chapter 10 and 11, Peter's struggling. I don't know. Did, did Peter and Paul have a conversation before or after this next verse? But we're going to kind of back up and actually see... Peter's struggle and actually what he's learned. And so I've divided it into two different categories. Here's the first one. This, this verse represents Peter's persuasion. Peter's persuasion. Look what it says in Acts chapter number 10, verse number 28. It says, Peter told them, and that's, he's referring to a guy named Cornelius, who's a Gentile, who's approaching him about having dinner with Gentiles. And so Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But, and that's a big but, by the way, and I like big buts, and I cannot lie. It says, but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. You know what I love about this? Is that here's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, I have been persuaded Now, if you go back and read the story, God persuaded him through a vision and that God showed him this vision and said, hey, whatever I have deemed clean, don't you dare call it unclean in so many words. But then also we know from Galatians that Paul also persuaded Peter. And so I have a question. Did did, did, did God use Paul first and then God finally kind of cemented, you know, his persuasion through this vision? Or maybe did the vision come first and Peter says this and then he eats and then he backs up and then Paul comes along somewhere in Acts chapter 12 or 13. We don't know. But here's what I do know. I find it very interesting that the same God who works in Peter's life is the same God who works in ours. That God himself spoke directly to Peter and yet God also used Paul. So God will, God will persuade us and he'll also use others in our lives. And isn't it cool to know that that's the way that God works today? That God can, God can work and nudge us through prayer and he'll nudge us to change. He'll nudge us to pivot, whatever it is that he asks us to pivot or to change, but he'll also use others as well through, through an encouraging word, through our friendships and positive influences. I love that. And then not only do we look at Peter's persuasion, but also here is Peter's pivot, This is Peter's pivot moment. It's the moment where he makes the change and and announces it, and we see the effects of Peter's pivot. Uh, Acts chapter uh, number 11, the next chapter. Peter says, as I began to speak, and and he's talking about his preaching. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them. He's talking about the crowd. Just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, Quoting Jesus, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in the way? Isn't that a great question? Who am I to stand in the way? The next time that God asks us to change, and by the way, not just this kind of change, any kind of change. The great question is, who am I to stand in the way of what Jesus wants to do? What Jesus wants to do in me, what Jesus wants to do through me, what Jesus wants me to be a part of, wherever it is that I'm going to maybe, maybe see it, the results or the impact of it, maybe even not immediately, but down the road. Who am I to stand in the way of the change that God wants to bring? What a great question. Peter's pivotal moment. And then the next verse, and this is the last verse, it reads this way. It says in verse number 18, when the others heard this, you know, Peter saying this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. And they said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting from their sins and receiving eternal life. And you know, what's amazing about this is that Peter's pivot produces more change. And that's what happens. That's how God works. Change produces change change and we see God changing the hearts of others then all of a sudden the change begins the birth because that's that's how it works hey listen whatever your political view whatever your uh, belief system whatever your differences whatever your hang-ups about anything in this world guess what's going to get it done the love of Jesus is going to get it done that's it. It's always the love of Jesus. And when we allow God to, to, to change our hearts, regardless of what we say or what our opinion is or what our beliefs are, or you know, whatever hang up we have, whatever you know, uh, comfort zone that God's calling us out of, whatever money that we're called to give, whatever we believe about holding on. I mean, it could be any category whatsoever. The love of Jesus gets it done. And we ask ourselves, who am I to stand in the way? And then here's what happens. Others see it and then God begins to use you as a part of their persuasion and that God speaks to them and that's how change happens in our lives. We become an encouragement to everyone around us. So here's the final statement for today. The statement is this, that God who never changes constantly changes things and asks us to embrace change by changing ourselves. Four statements, one sentence, the God who never changes and thank God he doesn't constantly changes things in our lives and we have to realize that that's a reality whether we like it or not but he asks us to embrace change how by changing ourselves first let me tell you this last uh this last quick story and i'll be done um i've told this story about three years ago and uh, i was invited to go down to texas with some college students uh, to go down as a part of Louis Giglio's big college day, one day, 100,000 college students. And I brought about 60 or 70 college students. We went down to Bells, Texas. And we arrived there, and they actually like, told us to park our car like seven miles away. We were stranded in this field. We had these tents. And all of a sudden, nobody told us this, but a monsoon came in. And I'm talking about, I mean, it was unbelievable. It was a wall of rain that hit us, and it was the heaviest rain that I've ever been in. Lightning struck and and actually hit two kids on the field. I'm I'm not not kidding. They went home all charged up. They didn't die. Uh, It is true, though, they got struck by lightning. And I remember it was the most miserable I've ever been because I like... I don't like to be wet. I mean, wet socks and wet underwear are the worst things in life. And so I actually laid there on my blow-up mattress in my, in my tent. After setting it up, after being soaked, it, it poured as we were setting up the tents. So everything we owned was soaked, like we threw it in the lake. I blew up my blow-up mattress, and I tried to sleep, but it's thundering and lightning, and every five seconds I'm scared out of my mind, couldn't get to sleep. And then I woke up drowning because, you know, the mattress is like sunken in, and it's dripping, and so literally my face is underwater, and then all of a sudden, like, I woke up, and it's in my lungs, and I'm coughing, and I actually thought I was drowning. I mean, I'm telling you, I've never been more uncomfortable in my life, and I remember the next day waking up and just being so upset, and I was just, like, getting up at six in the morning, and I'm just, I'm just determined we're leaving. I'm like, I'm gonna go into a hotel. I don't care if I have to put it on my personal credit card. Everybody's leaving. We're going to a hotel. We're ditching this place, and I'm, I'm really fired up, and I walk outside, and I notice that I'm the only one who cares. They're all doing slip and slide. Nobody cares. They're all loving life. And I'm the only one upset. And I'm thinking, I can't believe this. And I was more uncomfortable than I ever have in my life. Well, after the the conference, after the two-day conference, I ended up feeling like God was telling me, Chris, this is actually part of your problem. You don't like it when you're uncomfortable. And it doesn't just translate into physically, it means your whole life. And so I went back with my brother who lives in Texas, who met me there the one you saw in the photo, we went back to that spot. And I said, this is where my tent was. And, and so I prayed a prayer on that spot. And I said, God, make me uncomfortable in my life. God, I pray that I may never get too comfortable. And I pray that whatever it is that you ask me to do, that I'd have the courage to do it. I pray I may have the ears to hear it. Whenever you call me outside of my comfort zone, for whatever it is, I pray, God, that you would make me uncomfortable. Don't ever, help, you know, don't ever allow me to get too comfortable to not listen to what you're asking me to do. And that prayer, by the way, led me to Kensington because God had some really big things going on in my life. And it ended up with me leaving Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia at the time, and moving here. And we never know what God's going to ask. And in that case, God took a really big event to prepare me for a really big change. But I would just ask you, are you and I willing to just say, Jesus, you're enough. And whatever it is that you want me to do, I'll I'll, I'll set aside my own agenda. God, I'm sorry for not listening. I'm sorry for being selfish. And God, the only thing I want is you and what you want for my life. Whatever change it is, God, I'm just willing to accept it because that's who you are. You are God who never changes, who always asks us to consider change. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time together and thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that we would not only hear your truths, recognize, Lord, your ways, but also understand what it is that that it means, uh, what it means for us, what it is that you want us to do. I pray, Father, that not only would that be clear, but we would have the courage and to say, Father, I'm sorry for not being willing to change, but help us to embrace it if we truly recognize it is from you. And Father, we know it's going to be a great change. We know it's going to be for better. We know, Lord, it's going to be for our benefit and for your glory. And so we trust you. We pray all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
3: in your presence I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this hope I'm not here for blessings, no, Jesus, you don't owe me anything, and more than anything that you can do, I just want
0: you. Another song, please take me back to where we start. Where I open up my heart to you. And I'm sorry when I just came with my agenda. I'm sorry. nothing else, and nothing else, nothing else will do, I just want you. And nothing else, and nothing else, nothing else will do. If that's your heart's cry, I want to invite I you to stand and sing this with you. us. I just want you. And nothing, nothing, else, else. nothing else, nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else will do I just want you. I just want you. And nothing else. And nothing else. And nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else, will do. Nothing else will do. I just want you. I'm here for blessings oh Jesus you don't owe me anything and more
5: Is a way to end the day isn't it? and uh, just the sentiment behind that nothing else and then also coupled with uh, the idea that like God sorry for my own agenda, you can almost connect the last song with the first song that we sang God whatever you want, I just want you I want you, what you want in my life. I pray that we may be open and willing that we may not be closed off or just you know a, you know just so set in our ways or our comfort zones, whether it be you know internally, externally, whatever it is. Whatever God is challenging us with or inviting us to, I pray that we may have the courage to say, God, what does it mean for me? And then be willing to hear it and then respond to it. And God will use His word and and, and through the power of His Holy Spirit, but He'll also use others because that's the way that God persuades us. And I pray that there would be uh, constantly uh, small pivots in our lives that kind of nudge us down to His perfect will and a way to a life of blessing and abundance and in a life of significance, because after all, you know, it's always going to be for our benefit and for His glory, and that's what we want to say at the end of our lives. So thank you so much for being here, and hopefully we'll see you next week. God bless you. Thank you for coming.